Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I have green blood. <laughs> I'm joined, as ever, by my beautiful co-host. Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, I'm a podcast person, and I love Nightmare at Noon. My choice for this uh, fortnight, the question is, how does Dan feel about this choice? Dan, what are your thoughts Initial thoughts, early thoughts, because there's a lot to go through here. Uh, What are those thoughts on Nightmare at Noon? This was my first watch of Nightmare at Noon, Sam, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah! It has uh, an achingly slow second act, (laughs) but when you get to the third act, you see what they were saving their money for. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I had a great time with it. I think I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much if I watched it on my own. Uh, but my good friend Louis Christie, programmer and stand-up comedian, joined me for this watch as part of what we have likely referred to as our bad film club, although we watch more good films than bad, I think. And uh, yeah, we had a right old time with it. It was great fun. Well, I actually initially wasn't going to be watching this by myself. I was going to be watching it with Shay, um, but we put it on a little late and um, one of Shay's kids, Dylan... He came in because he couldn't sleep. And so while Shay was like soothing him, she accidentally soothed herself to sleep, which I've never actually seen before. But they were both sleeping deeply as I put it on. And uh, oh, my God, I hope that it seeped into both of their dreams because this is one of the greatest (laughs) films ever made. Brian James is a cyberpunk making his maintenance mate shoot a redneck for asking if he's making a movie in the opening moments might be the most meta uh, event in cinema history. Add that to Wings Houses High Tech RV, which is like a moving movie studio that looks like a VHS camera. camera. Yeah, with its giant (laughs) camera in the back. Um, Giant camera for a shitty little black and white CRT monitor inside. Exactly. And and the fact that he's also playing an entertainment lawyer at the wheel of this moving movie studio that looks like a VHS camera. I feel like this movie is operating at a level that I can't possibly comprehend. It's one of those films where it's all about the weird details. His entire character is just leverage for them to to, to shit on entertainment lawyers. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And yeah, Wings wants ham and eggs for breakfast, not soggy croissants, because this is an American picture, not that European crap. There are no subtitles here, just computer readouts. And that's because Nightmare at Noon is the future of cinema that we still haven't quite caught up to yet, I don't think. Yeah, like... Master Eckes has always had a, an interesting like affiliation for tech yes. um, in his pictures. I mean, I say always, some of them are, are, are not tech-based, but he's there's he has enough of them that I think it's a trend. And it's really interesting to see what it considers to be futuristic in this picture, especially considering it's ostensibly... I mean, and the clue is there in the name. It's it's essentially a Western, yeah, but it's, but it's also a horror action film government conspiracy movie. Yeah, for the kind of lazy people that take a nap at, at midday, because um, that's the only way that you will experience <laughs> yeah. a nightmare at noon. Nightmare spe- Act 2. <laughs> Speaking of nightmares, <laughs> whoa, some of the information gleaned from this disc. Um, oh, is- my goodness. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. Yes, the, the, this story about um, Wingshauser putting his brother's head through a hotel wall during the shoot, leading him to become yeah. arrested requiring bail from the film's budget. I feel like a movie about 
the making of this movie would almost be as entertaining as, as the film itself. Yeah, absolutely. There's the there's two sort of ways into the making of on the film. There's a there's a sort of a making of doc that is narrated by Masterakis himself. The subtitles that he's put yeah. over info is just so like so they've got a very Tommy Wiseau vibe specifically to the text on screen. Yes. Which I love. That kind of like weird defensiveness that comes out. Yeah. Like it's not angry, it's just preemptive. Someone yes. who's used to being judged yes. wrote those subtitles. But then there's also this other sort of making of, which is so weird. Like, what did you make of that extra? I know that we're jumping quite ahead into the extras now, but what did you make of that extra that kept on having like fast forwarded bits of the film spliced into it? But it contains the footage of the stunt that went wrong that's discussed in the other one. What can you say about it? Like, it's as weird and surreal as everything else on this disc and i mean literally everything it's, else yeah. every interview is it's weird so in fucked. some way <laughs> you know the the weirdest is is the cuz there's also individual onset interviews yeah. with everyone that you would want to be interviewed it's fucking fantastic and some of that is spliced into the the main making of documentary but the the onset interview with with wings on this disc is absolute gold and we said it last time it's not quite up there with uh, the peter weller interview but but it's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> he's very twitchy, but he's honest in the same way that um, Peter Weller is honest. Like you get true insight into his attitude to his career. Like he's he's clearly not happy about where his life and career has gone. This is a theatre man, not an action star. This is someone who doesn't like carrying shotguns around on set. This is someone who wants to talk and act. And then the the wants interview to, with Brian James wants to read wait, the Bard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then, yeah, the interview with Brian James, like when that starts, firstly, the impact of what he looks like he's in full costume. But the way they've kind of framed the shot, he's really, really imposing. He looks like Marlon Brando in uh, the island of Dr. Moreau for 20 minutes uh, of talk. Very, very interesting. Very, very cool. But then you've got George Kennedy talking about Cool Hand Luke and Charade on on the set of Nightmare at Noon. (laughs) <laughs> while he kind and of he, smooths and his he talks hair about... with, with a shaking hand it's poetry <laughs> he also he also talks about how he had a slightly tough time on the movie because he had a buggered knee and then yes. he comes to some behind the scenes footage of someone who looks like they are day one acting having a buggered knee like it's yeah. so over the top yeah. as he runs around and shoots that gun in the streets at night and yeah. the poor guy looks like it's walking on two broken ankles is so bad i love the juxtaposition of like his attitude to the shoot and wings's attitude to the shoot and you know george kennedy i love his respect for writers i love you know his kind of phone book metaphor that he talks about in his interview it's it's yeah great 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 and let's talk let's go back into the movie because george kennedy we're just talking about him now he's introduced waking up against what looks like a bookcase as a headboard with what appears yeah. to be an empty genie's lamp, this like weird glass lamp balanced on this bookcase. And it's a clear allusion to the literary magic of this movie. This is a film where action men say, oh shit, before being thrown onto a table, where being thrown through a window automatically triggers the slow motion setting on your TV, and where the pinnacle <laughs> of practical effects is athletes' foot cream smeared onto the faces of extras who were somehow cast as leads. This is a magical, magical movie. How did you feel about the effects, Dan? 
<laughs> so the the stunt work was very impressive. Oh yes, uh, and I think the stu- it, with hindsight, the stunt work was impressive because everybody was constantly in mortal danger. <laughs> Which is always really gonna sizzle up those sequences. Effects wise, yeah, like it was it, some bold choices. <laughs> my my favourite effects moment is again, sorry to keep going back to the extras, but oh my fucking god, that amazing sort of Foster Pussycat car crush um yeah. that happens. Watching them prep that and what they had like very, very optimistically hoped might make the cut. <laughs> compared to what is actually in that sequence yes. is one of the genuinely most shit-ass dummies I've ever seen. Part of the... It looks like they've just pulled it out of one of the burning vehicles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they probably did. Like, cars don't crash in this universe. They flip in spirals that no studio would sign off on in 2023 for fear of hypnotising audience into demanding this level of entertainment in every movie. Like, the, the stunts feel so, so dangerous. And explosions just happen. They're manifested by the concentrated charisma of this specific cast combination. I feel like this is a a movie that the the god of cinema willed into existence by whatever means necessary. I've recommended Wingshauser movies in the past, stuff like Vice Squad and Tough Guys Don't Dance, but this is up there with the best of them for me. It's it's so much fun. I'm so glad that you didn't watch it on your own down, but I still I had this level of reaction to it watching it <laughs> as quietly as possible so as not to wake up my family who are asleep right next to me having um, <laughs> pleasant dreams at midnight as opposed to nightmares at noon. Yeah, what was your friend's reaction to uh, to this movie? Yeah, I, I like sort of delighted bafflement, I think, is the best <laughs> the best way to describe it. It was a fun one to sort of, we'd, you know, we'd, obviously we'd had a couple of drinks, we'd eaten a bit of food, and then we settled down to watch this movie. And it is, it's something else. Like, it's it's really quite, it's it's both compelling and startling. It sure is. And I also uh, had a drink before recording this episode, actually. I ordered in uh, some bottled water from Canyonland. So uh, that may have affected everything that you've heard me say today. But maybe not. You'll just have to watch the film to find out. But yeah, it's a commentary on police violence, class warfare, the existential angst of handling Twisted Sister. It's a tale for the ages, a warning from the past that should be sent into space so that extraterrestrial civilizations don't make the same mistakes as us Earthlings. It's fun from first frame to last with approximately zero boring bits, which automatically makes it better than anything released since 2008. And I include my own films in that. Um, Nightmare at noon. I recommend it. It's on Blu-ray. It's on the Arrow streaming service in the US. Is it there in the UK, Dan? Yes, it's here in the UK. Fantastic. Uh, Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful picture. It's terrible, and I loved it. <laughs> yes, it is. It is terrible, but in a very fun way. Yes. All right, well, let's move on, shall we? Unless you've got any more uh, thoughts on Nightmare at Noon. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to start, and Sam, feel free to interrupt me if you feel like it's too much of a spoiler. I don't think it is. I think it's fine. But I, I think it's okay to say that there is some there's some pretty impressive helicopter stunts in the oh, third act yeah they're, they're kind of amazing i just assumed that they were very good miniature effects to start with because holy fuck helicopters when used as intended are viciously dangerous pieces of equipment yes and these are not being used as intended <laughs> this is 
Ab- absolutely irresponsible use of helicopters. But I just wanted to tell you a little, a fun bit of uh, helicopter engineering facts, Sam, because I thought oh, you'd, please. you'd like it. Have you, have I, you ever been I, in a helicopter? I have, actually. I've only ever been in a helicopter once, and I almost died. So, yeah, it was in Iceland. Statistically speaking, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, it was in Iceland, and the pilot lost control of of the helicopter. Uh, it got caught in like a wind pocket or something like that, and we started spinning and all the rest of it. And then when we landed, I asked the pilot, "Wow, is that normal? Is that the kind of thing that that happens a lot?" And he's like, he said as calmly as anything, and he's like, "Oh no, that wasn't normal. We all almost died." So yeah, uh, <laughs> I think statistically speaking, everyone who has just been in a helicopter almost died. Right, Jesus Christ! <laughs> it was so scary, dude. It was so scary. They're, they're, they're horrifying. I've been in I've been in two helicopters in my life. I heard someone who flew for the military once describe a helicopter, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, and I think they were quoting someone else. So forgive me if this is familiar but they described a helicopter as a collection of components all circling a single bolt desperately trying to fly free wow i found out since then and this is the thing that i was getting to that there is a colloquial term for the bolt that holds the rotors onto a helicopter the thing that it bolts into Mm. and it is called the jesus nut it attaches (laughs) the main rotor head to the main transmission shaft extension forgive me if i'm getting too technical but i think you'll you'll understand the gist of what i'm saying so when you're putting something together every nut and bolt on a vehicle or on any like high stress build has uh, what's called associated torque which means that it has to be tightened exactly the right amount Mm. if it's not tight enough if it's too loose then it'll just rattle itself free as the thing vibrates uh, and it'll come apart if it's tightened if it's done up too much it could snap the thread and and shear apart that way so everything has to be done up to a very specific level of torque however the jesus nut does not have a specific torque the jesus nut is according to the manual of assembling helicopters is hand tight oh my god i'm never going in a helicopter again jesus (laughs) fucking christ I mean, I, I pretty much made that decision after we touched down after that experience. Um, but now, yeah, <laughs> wow, terrifying. That information absolutely adds another level of intensity to what happens in the third act of this film. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, well, shall we move on to recommendations based on the film? I'm pretty certain that we're going to have no crossover whatsoever this time. So would you like to go first? I'm going to go first and I'm going to recommend a film that we have talked about before on the podcast. But Uh I feel like it is a fantastic double bill. Any of you out there who haven't yet watched the film Whitefire? Oh, yeah. Fantastic. From 1984, directed by Jean-Marie Palladi. Perfect. Oh, my goodness. It feels so aligned with the sheer insanity. Yes. Like it might it might even be a little bit madder because I don't think there's any quasi incest in, in Nightmare at Noon. But no. maybe I wasn't reading between the lines enough. <laughs> <laughs> well there is there's um, a very emotional moment between a father and a son in this film. I don't know if it's sexual, but if you want to apply pure Freudian theory to that scene in which a shotgun is outstretched in a very phallic manner, then perhaps, Dan, perhaps you're on something. Yeah, can we can we can we talk about the shotgun for a second? <laughs> Nightmare at noon. Yeah, sure. I don't know if you know of the the history of the franchise Spaz Twelve, an Italian designed military shotgun that was in the brief, I believe, for this gun was that it had to be as intimidating as possible. Yeah, it's a favourite 
in in films, particularly of this era. Mm. Um, Rutger Hauer has been seen in more than on more than one occasion wielding one of these buggers, mm. but it's so out of place in this like little Utah town. It could almost be argued that it's it's addressing the sort of swatification of the American police outfit yeah. where they get all this sort of excess military tech because it's such a fucking ludicrous bit of kit for them to be wielding absolutely i think you're yeah let's add that into the list of things that this film explores and covers you you're 100 percent right it, it, yeah, again it's a, it's a, a warning from the critique past of the early stages yeah a searing critique of the early stages of the uh over arming of the american police absolutely add it to the list i love it is that it for your first recommendation? Any more thoughts? Yeah, I don't know if I need to. It's got a fucking chainsaw duel in it. And if you've already seen Tiger on the Beat, then watch Whitefire. Yeah. The and second it, best film with a, with a chainsaw duel in it. it and it's uh, it's, it's another second one best. with um, stunts that almost certainly uh, endangered lives. Oh my God. That Yeah, yes, yes, in, indeed. The burn. The burn yeah. at the beginning. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god! And in fact, quite a lot of the burns throughout. Yeah. There's a yeah. There's a lot of things where you think, oh my goodness, that person can't express emotion with their face anymore. Yeah. Eyebrows, not 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 permanent physical deformation. No, they've yes. lost their eyebrows, is what yes. I'm saying. Yes. No, I, I, you've you've got a dark sense of humour, Dan, but it's not quite that dark. So uh, yeah, no, I get you. <laughs> um, speaking of dark, actually, I'm also going to talk about a film that we've talked about on the podcast before because Nightmare at Noon feels like the best book Richard Lehman never wrote, though it is close to One Rainy Night. It's not it's not quite there, and The Sadness is the best movie Richard Lehman never made. Both deal with random acts of violence. But only one features the holy trinity of Kennedy, Hauser and James. So Nightmare at Noon wins. But the sadness comes in at a comfortable second place. And I recommend it. Though maybe watch it first. It's a very, 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 very violent, very dark, disturbing movie. And you'll want the uplift of the magnificence of Nightmare at Noon before you settle down for sleep after watching The Sadness. So yeah, The Sadness. I recommend it. Dan, what's next from you? Sadness has just been announced. It's getting an uncut, the uncut print is getting a UK release through Raven's Banner as well. So oh, fantastic. Excellent, excellent. Next for me is, I feel like we've been doing this long enough that I must have mentioned this movie. It's not an arrow title. It's not been the subject of an episode, but it also hasn't got a UK HD release. So, you know, it's Mill Creek in the States. So I don't think Arrow have a standing relationship with them. There is a German Blu-ray of it, but I feel like it's time that Arrow put out a Blu-ray of Andy Sedaris's Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Yeah, oh my God, yes, please. Oh God. Another film that would go very well alongside Nightmare at Noon. I've always thought that Hard Ticket to Hawaii deserves a 4K UHD upgrade. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see it being given the sort of New York Ninja treatment. I mean, not that it needs reassembling, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Kind of loving... 4k craziness i mean again if it didn't already have a us blue i would say it was a it was a cinch for vinegar syndrome yeah but i think yeah yeah, it feels like one hour should be doing it's fantastic um those of you who aren't familiar with the oeuvre of andy sidaris he is a a sort of hard body russ meyer (laughs) um he loves his female secret agents and snakes that give you cancer um (laughs) it's yeah full of bazookas and intrigue and blood and very very thin bikinis with very high hip holes you know like share war in that one video and just the most natural dialogue oh yeah (laughs) 
Oh yeah, it, yes, yeah, absolutely fantastic. It's like it, it's like if Hard Bodies was a was a James Bond film. Yeah, that's that's what that's what these films are like. All of them as well, literally all of them. And yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot of them. So um, yeah, but 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 Hard Ticket to Hawaii is I think is the best entry point. Definitely, it has so many kind of because of the snake. Yeah, it's it's the snake, but it's also yeah the, the bazooka, the skateboard, bazooka. like yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot going on in this film that I don't want to spoil. It's it's a masterpiece. Yeah, absolutely. I want a box set, a Sidaris box set. Maybe um, maybe I it have could a Sidaris blue a DVD box set. I want Arrow to do their video store treatment <gasps> for Sidaris. Yeah, for Sidaris, that'd be nice. Yeah. All right. To anyone from Arrow Video still listening to this podcast, please make that happen. And uh, I'm going to text James Piercy and get him to get ready for having to fucking watch <laughs> hundreds go. of hours of Sidaris. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm going to move on to a movie that I don't think has any kind of Blu-ray release, and I, I would love to see that happen. It's called Dead Man Walking. It's not the Sean Penn one. It instead features the dream team combination of Wingshauser and Jeffrey Coombs. And it's about mm. a plague-ridden dystopia where infected people know they have a limited time to live. So they kind of go crazy in the time they do have. And it's basically Blade Runner meets Escape from New York. With Brian James chewing the scenery like it's made of ham and cheese. Coombs is as dynamic and charismatic as ever and Wing seems a little unnerved to not be the craziest thing in the movie. It has very silly set pieces including a game of Russian roulette with a chainsaw on a string. That's very fun. It's got a slightly saggy middle act which is how you feel about Nightmare at Noon but yeah you cannot deny that cast. It is one that I've covered on VHS Quest before. This is the first time I've ever done a repeat uh, across the two podcasts but i cannot not pair it with this film it's just too too perfect but yeah dead man walking it's it's a lot of fun and let's hope that that also gets a, a 4k uhd release from arrow sometime <laughs> in the near future it's unlikely but you know we it's can the new standard it's the new it's the <laughs> yeah. new baseline that's what exactly. we want <laughs> yeah Almost. excellent all right well that's it right for 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 based upon on to recently watched yeah let's talk about what we've watched in the past couple of weeks dan please go first what have you been watching when i was i'm gonna say 11 10 or 11 mm-hmm. i was uh staying with my grandmother in east anglia and i was watching tv which was a little bit of a luxury uh, for me at that age, for those of those of our listeners who know my weird backstory. And a film came on that I I absolutely loved, and I didn't know what it was, and I couldn't work it out for years, and it, it took a few years for me to figure it out. It felt like it was part of the airplane, like Zucker and Zucker, like world mm. it's not but i do think that it owes its existence to the success of airplane it's from 1976 it's called big bus oh have you seen big bus no Sam? i haven't actually no okay so it's, it's directed by james frawley who did the muppet movie and a lot of fucking telly it's on uh, kino loba put it out in the states which is how i finally have it it's a it's a disaster movie set on the world's first nuclear bus and it's going to do a nonsense. It's very parochial. Like the, a lot of the joke is about how unamazing the thing it's doing is. Um, it's doing a non-stop trip from I think New York to Denver, or like Denver to Ohio, or something like something kind of pointless. 
and uh, but the enemies are big petrol who wants who are worried about the the devaluing of the petrol vehicles and there's a bit where they're talking about like how they're like we'll just destroy it like we did with trains and the hydrogen car and and they list all this stuff off so they're basically going to terrorist this bus out of existence and it's but it's full of characters and it's very zucker and zucker in its tone and it's yeah it's an absolute delight it's just like airplane which i I watched again not that long ago i think i probably mentioned it on the podcast when i did nice chuckle after nice chuckle constantly throughout the film it's one of those it's it's great it's stupid it's got some very good practical effects in it for the vehicle stuff there's a lot of big practical builds some nice miniatures uh some very good rear screen projection work and some really really fun gags and it's all set aboard a nuclear bus like with all the vips in it who are like this like god this interior design of that bus is amazing sam it's gorgeous um but yeah like all the characters in the bus are are hilarious it's great let's commandeer this nuclear bus and let's commandeer wingshauser's nightmare at noon movie studio camera van and uh, let's go on a road trip yes yeah i should say it is also on prime in the uk i don't know about the states yeah, well, so I, I'm Prime sure the there's a lot of options in the States, actually. I'm, that sounds like one that's probably going to be on Tubi, to be honest, but um, I'll track it down for sure. Airplane was one that I just watched over and over again as a kid. It's just uh, pure you'll, you'll feel it very much vibes with all of that. Yeah, great. All right, well, very different vibe now because I am going to recommend a film that's actually on the Arrow streaming service. It's Henri Georges Clouseau's Inferno, a wonderful, wonderful documentary. And after watching Torment recently, I decided to revisit Inferno, which is the documentary about the unfinished movie which became Torment. Henri Georges Clouseau's unfinished Le Unfer languished in limbo before it was uh, completed by Claude Chabrol. And it's also resurrected here in the form of found footage, costume tests, storyboard comparisons and talking heads. And so, yeah, this Inferno is as close as we'll ever get to seeing Clouseau's potential masterpiece completed. Even though, obviously, we do have Torment, very, very different, very unique vibe in uh in the Clouseau's version and uh it is a tragedy that we don't get to see it as much as I love Torment so yeah it is on Arrow's streaming service as I said and it's also on uh, an Arrow Blu-ray maybe we'll talk about it more when we do get to that Torment episode so it's worth watching in the run-up to that I recommend it Dan, what's next from you? You know how I I know how you love it when I recommend a TV show. Oh God, have you been watching <laughs> Succession or something? I mean, I have, and it's great, but I'm not here to talk about <laughs> Succession. <laughs> Although I did recently have someone recommend Ted Lasso to me, and I'm like, have you fucking met me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, I said, if I want to watch a football movie, I'll watch ID, and if I or the firm, yes. if I want to watch a football comedy, which I don't, I'll watch Fever Pitch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. So you've been watching Ted Lasso, what do you think? What I've actually been watching is a TV series from my childhood that fucking terrified me. Oh, cool. And I've managed to track down on DVD. So it's from uh, BBC and Simply Media have put it out on disc in the UK. I don't know if it's available in the States, but it's really worth tracking down if you can. It's a three-parter, three one-hour episodes uh, from 1976, directed by Robert Young, who <laughs> did the Charlie Boy episode of The Hammer House of Horror, the one with the, the doll. Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Also did a bunch of young Sherlock Holmes stuff, but it's called Mad Death. It's 
Oh, it's an absolute delight. It's BBC Scotland production mm-hmm. originally, same as Badger by Owl Light, uh, <laughs> a favourite of the podcast, and literally no one else. It's about, it's a sort of went the day well, but with rabies. Oh, actually, yeah, it's, this does sound familiar now that you say that. Yeah, yeah. It was Shit. A, it was a big fucking deal, and I was allowed to watch it when I was really young, which is very rare. So I was like four when it was when it came out. Fuck me, I was four when it came out. Wow. I don't know where we would have seen it. We didn't have a TV when I was that old. But, anyway, the point is that Nigel Slater, who wrote the novel that it was based on, lived in my hometown and was friends with my parents at this point. And so for some reason, that meant that this was okay for me to watch. And it absolutely fucking terrified me. It's a very um, it's very stylized in the way that it, it's made. And there's a scene in the first episode where the first person, the first human to succumb to rabies and die from it is in bed, like in the grips of dying of rabies. They're sort of foaming at the mouth and they're desperately like dehydrated and they desperately want water, but they're also scared of water. And they're sort of trying to reach for this glass of water on the bedstand and they can't physically do it. And they're like, their body is stopping them from reaching it they're like trying to take it they're recoiling and then it cuts to this overhead shot and they what they've done is they've completely submerged the actor and the hospital bed that they're in in water so it's like they're drowning and it's it's such a powerful image it's so horrifying yeah um, i i have seen this i i actually watched i've i think i actually repressed it because i watched it before we went on holiday to Brittany in france there you like go a rare foreign holiday and uh, I was terrified of every single animal, uh, street yeah. animal that we saw on that trip um, because of this TV show. I just had a flashback um, to that experience. Yeah. Night of a Thousand Cats, right? Um, uh, like, I mean, <laughs> like a classy Night of a Thousand Cats. <laughs> they fucking, like, the bit, the bit where everyone's having to queue up to, to have their, animal, their pets tested in the yeah. second episode is... Like so burns in my brain that I wrote right. it into something without knowing that it wasn't imagined. Wow, we've both like, repressed rewatching this, show. this. I'm like, fuck me, this is where that's from. I it's l- so yeah, it's it's fucking great. I love those experiences, and I think this is something that maybe the Arrowheads will be able to identify with. That I don't know if there's a word for it. Maybe there's like a German or a French word for watching something that you watched over and over again as a kid so many times but then you forgot that you ever watched it and then you somehow come across it as an adult and you have this really eerie surreal feeling of knowing every single detail of the piece of media that you're watching that you'd forgotten you'd ever seen for me it was a a flash gordon cartoon which i kind of discovered i think on youtube as an adult it's like a tv movie or something and yeah, there's a sequence involving like meteorites and lava and all this business that like I could remember every brush stroke in the lava. Yeah. But I had no memory of like watching it. It's very, very surreal, but a kind of lovely feeling, actually, that I think we all chase in a weird kind of way when we watch this. Stuff. Yeah, it's like like scene by scene. It's like walking through, pushing through curtains into rooms you you remember, yes. but could never have described before you walked into that room. Yes. Everything feels so familiar, but if called upon 10 seconds earlier, you would not have been able to recall anything. Uh, yeah, that's a wonderful way of describing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will hunt out Mad Death. I imagine it's quite hard to get in the States, so I'll probably just import it from the UK. Wonderful recommendation. Thank you so much for that one. 
I wonder if you've seen this. It feels like the sort of thing that you probably saw like when you were first investigating film, but it, it's a new one to me. It's it's from 1965. It's a short film, and it's called just Film. Have you seen this one, Dan? Don't think I have. Well, it's the only film script, like short or feature, written by Samuel Beckett, um, which is wow. kind of incredible already. But it's actually it's wordless. And it's mostly completely silent apart from a shush near the start. And I think that's probably just a signal that the silence is a choice rather than (laughs) an error. There's no music, no foley, just a roaming camera and an aged Buster Keaton, uh, which is the other thing that makes it special. Samuel Beckett and Buster Keaton together at last. Um, I found it an electrifying watch. It's very, very inspirational. The camera movement is so dynamic, it really feels ahead of its time. And Keaton's silent cinema physicality adds so much to the experience of watching it. It just simply wouldn't work without him. Like, he speaks. You mostly see, like, he's obscured for most of it. You you see his back a lot of the time, like a lot of modern movies, you know, stylistically. Um, But this is from 1965. But you can feel his soul coming through the back of his body. It's uh, it's hard to describe, but um, really wonderful to watch. So, yeah, wouldn't work without him. But with him, it works to the level of a masterpiece. Huge recommendation for any filmmakers listening. This will inspire you. And as I say, it's called film, um, which feels like a statement in itself. You know, Samuel Beckett's film, to give it the full title. And I know this is a short film recommendation, but I will have more in extra features as a treat. But yeah, watch film from 1965. It's thrilling and wonderful. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm not, I don't think I have seen it. That sounds really good. Awesome. Um, and I saw it on the Criterion channel, so um, I'm sure uh, there'll be ways for you to watch it. But yeah, extra features, extra features, extra features. Extra features. You have an extra feature. I have an extra feature. Now, seeing as Nightmare at Noon is a VHS classic i figured i'd throw in a free episode of vhs quest to make up for all the promotion i've given it uh, over the past you know six months or so it's hard to set up a new podcast it's hard to set up a patreon podcast um but we're just having fun over there we've got lovely followers people who join in we've recently rebooted the show shay has been my weekly co-host for a while now which is really really fun and yeah, I wanted to give uh, the Arrowheads who haven't joined us over there uh, a little glimpse into what it's like. So what follows is one of our most recent episodes and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hello VHS Quest collectors. I'm Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director and I'm a podcast animatronic bear. And I'm here to cover lots of weird and wild and obscure VHS movies from the collection of my co-host... Shay Mossifin. Shay Mossifin, who has the greatest tapes in the universe. We're also going to give our wonderful, beloved VHS Quest collector, who's straight from the top shelf himself, James Hellyer. He is a $10 patron, so we're going to give James a couple of recommendations based on on repo man at the end of the show mm-hmm. so um we're gonna get more films than normal this week but hopefully no one's complaining about that yeah, yeah. i don't think so no, no i don't think so i don't hear any complaints <laughs> no, me excellent all right well let's get started with our first movie and that's going to be oh dark universe here's the trailer if there is one <laughs> Beyond the 
Shay, so Dark Universe, this was one that you plucked very excitedly from the pile of tapes. In the, I was in so excited when I found this. I think I already own a copy, but just <laughs> having two of this beautiful tape on the shelf was a treat. Yeah, and it's a, a great cover. It's got like a weird alien rip-off beastie on the front. I personally love the title because... It makes me think of that time that I think it was Universal tried to set up a shared universe based around monsters called the Dark Universe. And it launched with Tom Cruise's The Mummy and immediately fell to pieces and nothing else ever got released again. But at least from that whole endeavour, we got that trailer that was accidentally put on the internet for The Mummy in which uh, none of the music and sound effects were added. So it was just like Tom Cruise being bounced around in a plane going, And actually, I'd probably rather watch that trailer again than uh, this tape, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I know I, you liked it a little bit more than I did, Shay. I have a little more history with it. This is a movie directed by Steve Latshaw, otherwise known as Steve Shitpickle Latshaw. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the infamous director of Death Mask mm -hmm. and Jacko and uh, a multitude of other wonderful B-movies. There's a notorious commentary on the DVD release of Jacko, which is also put out by Fred Olin Ray, where Fred Olin Ray invokes a previous review of his movie that calls it a shit pickle. <laughs> and they get into a fight. Latshaw storms off the, <laughs> the set or the, you know, the recording studio, comes back in. They attempt to make up and it blows up again and he walks off again for real. So 
classic. Uh, I just had to bring up Shit Pickle because the way to get through Dark Universe is to make Shit Pickle and Pickle references in general through the whole thing because there's yes. lots of gloopy, globby little beasties yes. uh, that are forming in a Floridian swamp because right. of a spaceship that crashed in the Floridian swamp. And the spaceship was flown by none other than Steve Barquette, rest in peace, as a mm-hmm. few months ago, the director and star of the Vanity Project classic Empire of the Dark and Aftermath. Uh, respect to Steve Barquette at uh, 100%. thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wonderful man, wonderful movies. Please look his stuff up. He's incredible. But anyhow, he runs into a storm of fungus, f- fungi, fungi? Fungi. Bunch of fu- fun guys <laughs> yeah. in outer space. <laughs> and he crashes. And you don't really know that that's what's happening until you read the synopsis <laughs> after watching the movie because yeah. it's all very hypnotic and lots of like, close-ups and not a lot of narrative structure like you're just kind of in the swamp and then suddenly there are funguses growing yes and then there's a large rubber uh xenomorph looking black i don't know oversized alien creature yeah you're being very kind to it by saying it looks like a xenomorph i I, I felt it looked like a giant dildo but (laughs) i guess a xenomorph does too so yeah that's a good point yeah totally and it has similar powers to the xenomorph in a way the same source material i guess (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Um, what does it do to people show this uh giant xenomorph dildo beastie doesn't it just kind of scream at them or throw up on them no it shoots out a giant tongue Oh, it's tongue. In, I re- into their tummies. <laughs> into their tummies. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I already it. blocked that out. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, this is a film that's got a vampire armadillo, like we say, a monster that looks like a giant dildo, nude scenes galore, and yet somehow it is impossibly boring. It's so boring. I'll give them credit for a decent twist. But then I'll immediately remove that credit for all the arbitrary shots of gators. There's a lot of stock oh, yeah. footage of gators stock reacting footage. to yeah. stuff in this movie. Well, the one thing I really wanted to mention, and this, this ties into our last episode, oh. the creature designer mm-hmm. for our giant dildo monster mm-hmm. was none other than the director mm. of Cemetery Gates. No way. Way. <laughs> I, I have to look up his name. <laughs> Because I can't remember, but I swear to God, hang on. All right. Roy Nyrim? Kanyrim? That's got to be a silent K. That's a silent K. All right. Roy Nyrim, creature supervisor. Look at that. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, that, that just means that he, like, looked after the creature and made sure that it had enough water. And oh, okay. Had everything on its rider. He was its handler. Yeah, he supervised the creature, just like uh, uh-huh. Phil Tippett. <laughs> and Jurassic Park, who had oh. one job. So yeah, not a top shelf title. This is one destined for the VHS Quest dollar bin. Though we still recommend you watch it because we had fun. We made fun of it. I'm going to say the $3 bin because it $3 has a bin. great cover. It does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's in the $3 bin, which is a new bin that we just added <laughs> to our own dark universe, our own, uh, you know, shared MCU style universe yeah. here at the VHS Quest Towers. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the next tape from Shay's new additions to the collection. And oh my goodness, this is a great one. We're going to be talking about Cop Killer, aka many different titles, which we'll talk about in a moment. But before we do that, here's a trailer. <laughs> Thank you. 
So, last time we talked about this one being uh, Bad Lieutenant 2. Now, that was a slight misnomer if you look at the release year for Cop Killer, because this was released, I think, eight or nine years before Bad Lieutenant came out. Yeah, it inspired Bad Lieutenant. It uh, it may have inspired it, or it may have just inspired some marketing uh, Italian to call it Bad Lieutenant 2, because... That's what happens so often in Italian cinema. Like Alien 2, you know, they did a Terminator 2 before Terminator 2. Zombie 2. Yeah, exactly. Is, yeah. Oh, that's a that's a brilliant one. Yeah, yeah. But I think that what happened here is posthumously, after Bad Lieutenant was so successful, they marketed this film as Bad Lieutenant 2. Exactly. And they also called it Order of Death. It's called Cop Killer on IMDb, but it's called Cop Killers on the actual opening credit. Oh! Yeah, and then he opens a newspaper that has Cop Killer on the front. It's also known as Corrupt. So I've had this movie probably three times (laughs) on different DVDs or VHS tapes that I I thought they were different movies. And I've actually watched it a few times because I didn't realize (laughs) it had a different name. Well, this was a first time watch for me, that's for sure. And oh man, I just thought it was so great. I I really, really loved it. Oh good, it's so great. So, so good. It stars Harvey Keitel opposite John Lydon, which, you know, that is just wonderful on its own. And it features the most insane uh, Morricone score I've ever heard, to the extent that I think he quit the project after five minutes. Uh There's a bluegrass song that will have you in hysterics every time it makes a reappearance. (laughs) And I think they loop the same bass line from that one Morricone song probably 17 times. Yeah, and you caught... But it's a really catchy bass line. It is a catchy bass line. And you caught a little extra musical sting. I did! Oh, my God! It's the little sting from Halloween where it goes... Yes, that that appears over and over again. It's a strange, strange film, but it is ripe for a revisit. I wish I'd seen it before we did our Maniac Cop 2 episode because it features a, a slasher killing cops while dressed like a cop and wearing a ski mask. So um, it's kind of in the middle ground between Maniac Cop and Psycho Cop, mm-hmm. but feels more like a giallo and, and those kind of very specific Italian movies that aren't quite giallo 
but they are about a weird S&M relationship between... There is such a huge sadomasochistic relationship yeah. between those two, and that's all I really remembered of this movie. Right, yeah, yeah. I, I just remembered him beating the crap out of John Lydon, and then John Lydon being in a tub. But at some point, the power shifts, and it's really interesting to watch mm-hmm. how the, the, you know, the more submissive, or I guess the victim in this dynamic, yeah. turns his power toward the aggressor the person who is you know keeping him tied up well that is one of the most kind of interesting routes for films about sadomasochistic relationships to take that this idea that the submissive person has as much power as the dominant person but they're just wielding it in a in a different way mm-hmm. um and Leiden is just actually wonderful in this role like he does have that musician, a really specific musician style of acting where it's just a little bit offset. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit not quite right. But his weird charisma translates to film so well. And this is a punk performance, if ever I saw one. And it's so thrilling to see him in scenes with Keitel, who treats Lydon so poorly he makes prisoners look like neighbours. Now, you haven't seen Prisoners. No. But this reminded me of that film. Does that have the chemistry that Lydon and Keitel have? It doesn't quite have that chemistry. No, it certainly doesn't. But it does have elements that reminded me. These two films would make a good kind of double bill, I think. Well, you can see why Keitel went into Bad Lieutenant, because he really seemed to enjoy yeah whipping john lydon he He, really seemed to like it and this this movie has one of the most insane endings i mean it's okay maybe not one of the most insane endings but it has an insane ending it does like my memory of this was like oh my like i thought that something else happened but i won't give it away yeah we're we're not not gonna spoil it it's a shocker yeah (laughs) it's pretty crazy it is no it's it's a wonderful wonderful film i really really loved it it reminded me of like I don't know, something like Quiet Place in the Country, maybe. Well, it has a little bit of Poliziotteschi in it. Yes. And it has a little bit of, like, that movie Almost Human, like a Thomas Million kind right. of unhinged maniac. But you've got this extremely abusive person in a uniform, yeah. you know, in, in power. And this other person who is challenging his authority. Mm-hmm. And in a way, um, the plot is that there is a cop killer on the streets. Yeah. And Leiden confesses to being this cop killer, but basically splays himself out for Kaitel to to beat. And if that sounds like a spoiler, it really isn't because the movie goes in so many different directions and twists and turns and that power dynamic at the heart of it is what this movie's really interested in exploring. So definitely a worthwhile watch. And it's a top shelf title for sure. I love this. It's one of the, my favorite things that we've ever covered on this show. It's so, so good. It's yeah. about corruption. And yeah. I think that's why they called it corrupt. But it really does take corruption and power to an extreme and yeah. shows how it, it will undo someone. It's a lot like insomnia. This one, actually, this one really needs a re-release. So I think I actually might even throw this episode onto the Arrow Video Podcast so oh. people can hear about this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's I, I so hope, good. And it will promote the show and maybe get new members of community and all that kind of business. But speaking of members of the community. Yes. We are going to do something special now because, James, we're actually going to give you 
four recommendations mm-hmm. off the back of Repo Man this week, just because Shay's joined me now and she's got her own thoughts about mm-hmm. what you should watch for this movie. So I'm going to start first. Here's some extra takes for James and anyone else who wants to borrow them when he's done. First up, Repo Man, to me, is a surreal, hard-boiled hangout movie that's beautifully shot. So the first film I'm going to recommend for James is St. Jack from 1979. Here's the trailer. The flowers, you're, you're a ponce, aren't you? Hard to say what anyone is. I only mention it because, personally speaking, I can never bring myself to pay. William, people make love for so many crazy reasons. Why shouldn't money be one of them? See that guy back there? Yes. Well, you're new at this and you don't speak it. Groovy. What are you drinking? Hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. The minute I thought you were going to ask me to kill him. You're not that desperate, are you? Ah, some people, when they're desperate, they think about suicide. Me, I'm different. I think about murder. St. Jack is an underrated and underseen Peter Bogdanovich movie starring Ben Gazzara in his most charismatic mode. It has a similar mix of intense government conspiracy with a relaxed Cassavetes style improv feel. It really is a brilliant, brilliant film, unfairly forgotten, and it needs a new Blu-ray release because I think the only Blu-ray it's ever had is now out of print. Um, but it's a wonderful movie and it was actually a project it's based on a novel and Orson Welles actually wanted to make Saint Jack but Sybil Shepherd got the rights to the novel after she sued Playboy for publishing pictures of her in the last picture show and so this was part of the deal that she got from that court case and so yeah the making of this one is as weird as the movie itself but if you like Repo Man for its unique atmosphere I think you'll be a fan of St. Jack, St. James. Shay, what would you like to recommend for James? James, I would love to recommend to you a quirky movie from the early 90s. Not the same era as Repo Man, but also made by a maverick director, an auteur, if you will, by the name of Trent Harris. Oh, yes. It's called Reuben and Ed. Fantastic. Here's the trailer. Far needed company. That's it. Why don't you get out of this house and make yourself a friend? No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Ed Tuttle, 
needed customers. Excuse me. That's off. You've got a big problem. Success! Work! Fate brought them together. Hello, Reuben. What a tremendous day. What say we motor on over to the seminar and get you started on the express to success? Nope. I guess you're pretty broken up about your cat. Why don't you keep your hands off other people's refrigerators? Why don't you bury your cat in sea? We can save water. You don't need to bury him out in the desert. He'll be frost. Like in the ice. That's a good idea. So they hit the road. This is the perfect spot to bury a cat. Any cat in your right mind would be happy as a clam to be buried here. Now you have to admit that. No, we don't. Yes, you do. I don't have to admit anything. Let's stall and bury the cat. Is this the right spot? It's gonna get weird now. You have to be back before the seminar is over. Jeez. Ruben and Dan. Who's the biggest failure in this room? Raise your hand, Dad. Starring Crispin Glover. Ow! I am a Republican. Howard Hessman. Hello, Ruben. Hello. Is that you? And Karen Black. and Ed. They don't know where they're going, but they're on their way. I gotta hand it to you, Ruben. That was El Smarto. Boy, you really know how to make an impression. All right, so this movie follows not just one loner, but two. They come from completely different walks of life, similar to the leads in Repo Man, and they meet by chance, unwittingly, in the same kind of way. But they embark on a, a much different journey in the way that Repo Man is a bit of, I guess, a spaghetti western mm-hmm. of sorts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is also kind of like a Utah-style spaghetti western <laughs> <laughs> where uh, they go on a journey to bury Crispin Glover's cat uh, in the desert. And I won't give you the details of how that happens or what happens afterwards, but these two desperate loners who really hate each other's guts end up becoming the best of friends. And the reason I'm suggesting it is it feels like a punk rock movie. The characters are rich. They are hilarious, uh, witty. Every journey they take, they take together. And they (laughs) ultimately find true happiness at the end. So I would highly recommend Ruben and Ed. I believe it's 1993. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to double check that really quick here. Beep, beep, boop, beep, boop. Ruben, sorry. 1991. So it's from 1991. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> well, this is like, this is one of your ultimate comfort movies, isn't it? This is something oh, that you... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love this movie. Uh, I do. I watched it probably shortly after it came out. 
I've revisited it multiple times, did an entire episode on Ruben and Ed on the Movie Melt podcast in the pandemic because I wanted to revisit movies that made me feel good. And this one always hits the spot. Repo Man is one of those movies you can watch a thousand times. Same. And Ruben and Ed is the same for me. Yeah, yeah. Repo Man is one of my comfort movies too. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, oh, I just, I feel so safe whenever that film's on. I love it so much. Yes. And yeah, Repo Man is a Lynchian science fiction movie. And the sci-fi element is very, very important to that film, which is missing from St. Jack. So I'm also going to recommend a sci-fi picture called Strange Invaders from 1983. Here's the trailer. Centerville, Illinois, is a nice place to live in. But you wouldn't want to visit there. And you definitely don't want to bring the family. Because the people of Centerville have a little secret they really would rather not share. This is odd. No one has lived in that town since 1958. I know what I saw. You've intruded on a very delicate situation. I led them right to you. Twenty-five years ago, they came from another galaxy and joined the human race. Now, they're ready to leave, and some of us may be going with them. Now, Strange Invaders actually came out the year before Repo Man, and I do wonder if Alex Cox saw it. The mixture of the very alien and the super mundane with a bunch of weird light effects. It definitely feels like there was some crossover here. But Repo Man is obviously superior and infinitely cooler. But Strange Invaders is a forgotten oddity with a great performance from Nancy Allen and some genuinely creepy moments. So, yeah, Strange Invaders is my second recommendation. Nancy Allen. Nancy Allen, and she is fantastic in it. And not a Brian De Palma movie. And not a Brian De Palma movie. My goodness. Yeah, yeah, she can do it. She knows how to do it. (laughs) It's true. Um, And so, Shay, that was my second recommendation for James. What is yours? Well, I would like to recommend on the back of that, uh, I would like to recommend an actual Spaghetti Western. Day of Anger. Fantastic. One of my all-time, all-time favorite movies. And here is the trailer.
All right, so Day of Anger is from 1967. It's a spaghetti western directed by Tonino Valeri, starring Lee Van Cleef, who you could also say is very much our Harry Dean Stanton. Yes. And Giuliano Gemma, who's very much our Emilio Estevez. That's right. Both very humble uh, backgrounds, you could say, mm-hmm. working class, mm-hmm. lowest rung. You know, uh, Emilio starts off working in a grocery store. Poor Giuliano is cleaning up all the literal sewage in the, <laughs> you know, in this country town somewhere and uh, sweeping up all the porches and getting spit on and jeered at by everybody who passes by. He's a bastard. He doesn't have any parents. And Emilio Estevez's parents might as well not even be in the picture. And a mysterious stranger rolls into town with a new way of doing things and puts a little pep in his step, a little bit of confidence and pride in who he is and takes him under his wing. And although I think Harry Dean Stanton's a little more enthusiastic, uh, leaving Cleef's more reluctant, but um, they have a really interesting mentorship sort of dynamic that yeah. that goes in in all kinds of uh, twisty turny ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and being a spaghetti western, it's it's complicated. You know, these characters are every shade of gray, mm. black and white that there is, and sometimes you're rooting for the protagonist, and then you're rooting for the antagonist, and mm. then they flip roles, and that definitely happens a lot in Day of Anger, and it is really a fantastic spaghetti western. Alex Cox is obsessed with spaghetti westerns. Yes. He wrote a book called 10,000 Ways to Die, all about spaghetti westerns. So I figured this would be a great parallel film to watch with Repo Man. I've got to say, I would never have put these two movies together on my own. I never would have connected Day of Anger with Repo Man. But that amazing connections, amazing pairing. And the only thing that I'll add to what you just said, which was beautifully put is that I love the soundtracks to both of these movies so much. Day of Anger has maybe my favourite Spaghetti Western theme. It's so good. The way the music <laughs> leads in to the film in Day of Anger. Oh, you just... love the intro when we watched it recently? Yeah, I mean, I get excited about it every time. Yeah, that it just intro... swoops into the, oh, the world. Yeah, and the I... soundtrack is truly legendary. Like, I was like, wow, is this a Morricone song I've never heard? Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And obviously, Repo Man has just incredible music. It's one of the things that makes it so special. So that's just another little connection. But yeah, beautifully put, Shay. And uh, yeah. That's it for this week. Already? Already. Short but sweet, like a perfect pop song or an 88-minute action movie. Or Or. a very short tape that we did not discuss today. That's right. But next time, let's just... Should we preview what we're going to do next time? Let's preview it. Sure. Why not? Why not? Why not? So next time, we're going to be doing a movie called 50-50, If you want to watch it ahead of time, it stars uh, Robocop and the pilot from Airplane together at last. Um, (laughs) They're so great together. They're so great together. The chemistry is insane. So really, really excited to discuss that next week. And Jay, your short form film will be something very special. Very special. Yes. Something that's never been seen really by anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, like only like maybe a dozen people have seen this movie and it's about to be reissued by a friend of mine yeah so we're gonna get into that and uh so much more so please come back next week and uh but until then these episodes will be brief but they will be frequent so stay tuned there will be more i've been sam ashurst you've been shay marsifan and this has been vhs quest please eject yourself
quest. Alright, that was uh, VHS Quest episode I don't know, but just one of the recent ones, and uh, I hope that was a fun listen. Dan, do you have anything that you'd like to talk about that's going on in your life right now? No, but I saw a short film that I liked recently, and you recommended a short film, so I wanted to recommend Carrie Barker's The Chair from, I think, this year, actually. It's up on YouTube. It's, I, it's genuinely unnerving. I really enjoyed it. It's a good little horror film. Fan watch that. I think it's, it's 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 hardly a it's hardly a deep cut. It's had almost a quarter of a million. It's over a quarter of a million views. But like it's yeah, it's a it's a short film that's really worth sitting down with. It's got some fantastic horror imagery in it. It's really unsettling. It made me feel quite uncomfortable. It's a, a deep cut for me because I haven't heard of it, and I love watching shorts on YouTube. So I'm gonna go and watch that right now. But before I do that, how can people follow you on the internet, Dan? I'm at 13fingerfx on both Twitter and Instagram. Sam, we should tweet short films that we like. Yes, that's a great idea. We yeah. should do more of that. That there seems like a good thing we should do. Yeah, yes. go on, then we're going to do that, I think. Maybe, yeah. hopefully. We are. Yeah, we definitely are. At Sam Ashurst on, uh, on the old Twitter for that. Yeah, sounds good. Perfect. All right, well, that's it for the social media. That's it for the episode we hope you've enjoyed it. Not sure what we're doing next time, but it will be me and Shay because Dan's away on his regular opportunity to catch up on all the work that he's got going on at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, Shay and I next time, Shay and I the time after that, and then Dan will be back. We don't know what we're doing. We haven't booked in anything yet for me and Shay or for Dan and I, so it'll all be a surprise. But we really hope that you join us for all of these episodes. We love talking to you and we love it when you talk to us. So also tweet us. If you have any thoughts, the email address hasn't worked for probably two years. Um, so if you've been emailing <laughs> us there, um, please, since, please yeah, don't. They, We're they sorry. They the server, so don't. Well, yeah, sorry about that. If we yeah, don't get replies yeah. emails, we don't get them. But yeah, tweet us thoughts and we'll read them out on the show. Thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.